Hello and welcome back to the Korean Beauty Show podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Lee, K-beauty expert, resident of Seoul, South Korea, and your guide to the world of Korean beauty. Uh, I'm very excited to have you back with me for another week. We have, of course, two episodes planned. Today's episode, Tuesday's episode, and on Thursday's episode, I am going to wrap up my little walk down memory lane that we started last week, looking back through the changes, some of the history, what's been going on in Korean beauty for the last 12 years. And that is, of course, uh, a little bit of a special we are doing to celebrate the fact that we clocked over to 100,000 downloads a little while ago now, but still a big milestone. So I wanted to do something just a little bit different. So we're going to wrap that up on Thursday's episode. But for today's episode, let's jump straight into the K-Beauty news head. Uh, And the first thing I saw was multiple articles talking about anti-aging hair care products, uh, which has me thinking that that might be a little bit of a trend. This might be a new thing that we are going to see in K-Beauty. If you are scratching your head and wondering, uh, how can we anti-age our hair and what does that even mean? That's a really great question. So what we're talking about here, the kinds of products that have been released are tackling a couple of different things. One is obviously gray hair. I think that's probably the biggest sign when it comes to our hair of aging or one of the biggest signs. Uh, And, you know, a lot of people go prematurely gray as well. Uh, And even if you're not going prematurely gray, it's still you get to an age where a lot of people are just noticing more and more gray hairs. So there are products that are being released onto the market that are aiming to conceal gray hair. Now, I've seen products like this that exist certainly in Western beauty and they have root sprays and products like that that are essentially just a little hairspray style product half hairspray half makeup that has colorant in it and you pick the one that is the closest to your hair color or whatever color you've dyed your hair and spray it along the roots and they are really handy little products for just getting you that little bit further a couple of weeks more and you can push your salon visit back or you know if you're going to be dyeing your hair at home because the thing with gray hairs if you have them and I certainly do you'll notice that uh, when you get them depending on what color hair you've started off with if you have really really dark hair uh, the gray shows up immediately and within like two to three weeks of having dyed your hair you can already see them really coming through so products like that have been on the market for a while and the other thing that we were speaking about earlier this year there was an ingredient that Korea's uh, Ministry of Food and Drug Safety has recently banned uh, and that was being used in products that were you know color depositing in the hair when the hair was being shampooed Uh, again another way to kind of uh, give you a more vibrant color and if you have things like grays to cover grays so none of this new crop of products has this banned ingredient in them and if you're wondering what the ingredient is it is called 124 trihydroxybenzene so that was one of the ones that was recently banned here in Korea it has already been banned in the EU Uh, so there was one brand in particular that was going to be very effective 
affected by that ban uh, because that was the key ingredient in their range of shampoos. So none of these new ones have that ingredient, but that's what they're aiming to do is conceal gray hair loss. Some of the other products were aiming to tackle things uh, like uh, strengthening the roots uh, and hair loss in general. Hair loss is another thing that people can notice when they're aging. Uh, and you know, often it will fall out in, in clumps, uh, particularly if you're pregnant and after pregnancy, people do tend to notice things like that. Uh, so you'll have to keep an eye out and see if there are more products coming through on the market like this, but anti-aging hair care may be a new trend that we're seeing. I think if we just see a couple of products, it's not enough to be a trend, but if we start seeing like multiple different uh, products from multiple different brands over a six month period or whatnot, that's my sort of litmus test for, okay, this is going to be a thing. So let's just see what happens in the next six months. But that has the early signs of being a trend, I would say. Uh, and the other thing that I'm seeing and hearing on the grapevine is that cosmetic surgery is expected to pick up and that Korea is poised to become the top destination in the post-COVID world for cosmetic and plastic surgery. Uh, this is obviously not entirely surprising, probably not entirely, uh, you know, new news either. I think particularly amongst Asians, Asians around you know Asia, Singapore, um, Japan, even China have been coming to Korea for many years to get plastic surgery. But I think uh, that it's probably not been as popular a destination as other places around the world, maybe say like Mexico for Americans, Turkey for people that are coming from Europe. Uh, so that is expected to change and the popularity of doing surgery in Korea is expected to go up. Uh, obviously now the travel restrictions have been eased. It's a lot easier to get a flight now than it used to be. They're just saying that people are going to be traveling more for procedures like this. In Korea itself, plastic surgery is incredibly popular. I have seen some statistics that suggest that as many as 70% of high school students undergo eye surgery, that is to make the eyes either appear bigger uh, or to get a double eyelid, and that they receive it as a graduation present from their family members. So this is obviously a very, very well-developed industry. Uh, I've read other statistics that that suggests that one third of women in Korea between the ages of 19 to 29 have undergone some kind of cosmetic surgery before. So those are pretty crazy numbers in comparison to other countries. Uh, I certainly don't think Australia would have anywhere, anywhere near a third of the population uh, having gone through cosmetic surgery. The other big difference between Western cosmetic surgery and Asian cosmetic surgery in general, but particularly in Korea, is that here people are doing things to their face. Traditionally, I think overseas, people have done things to their bodies. So what kind of things, I guess, you know, the Brazilian butt lift that has been popularized by the Kardashians is very big in the West. Breast implants, liposuction, things to give you a better body. Whereas traditionally, I think in Asia, 
the focus has definitely been more on the face uh, and the nose and eyes in particular are the two ones that I think I see people doing the most. Uh, so nose here is to get a higher nose bridge. Uh, a lot of Asians tend to have a flatter nose bridge and I guess that's something that you know people when they're thinking about doing surgery that's something that they, they go for which is probably not something a lot of people in the west have maybe thought about like you know to make the nose actually appear bigger most of us have the opposite problem that we have a hump or a bump or you know a big nose or something like that so you know white people like me or westerners generally tend to be going the other way we want it smaller uh, but in Korea it's about raising the nose bridge so a slightly different technique obviously and a slightly different surgery and then eyes again it's not something that a lot of people in the western world would necessarily think about I think it's a shock to people when they realize what kind of surgeries are possible on the eyes here to change the shape of the eyes uh, and you know that's obviously a whole nother category a whole nother can of worms uh, as to you know why people feel the need to get that done and everything so that is the two surgeries though that are really popular here the only thing that I would say and this is what the articles that I was uh, reading uh, the ones that I've been seeing pop up with saying is Obviously, if you are doing surgery overseas, then you need to be prepared for the additional costs that may crop up if something goes wrong. You know, obviously, I think the in a lot of cases, not all cases, but in some cases, people are going overseas to save money. Depending on what kind of surgery you're hoping to do, it could even be that you're willing to pay a little bit more because the surgeries maybe here in Korea are, you know, the people doing them have so much more experience because so many more people are going to get them done. But there are costs uh, that might creep up on you that you haven't thought of. For example, if you need to stay longer, if something goes wrong, if you need to have something fixed, then you might need to come back and have it done here. So those are the kind of things that I was seeing mentioned in the articles. Uh, so let's I guess this is another one we'll have to wait and see whether international cosmetic surgery is going to be uh, you know uh becoming more popular I've already seen a couple of people I hadn't seen this for years so back in the day in the pre-covid days pre-pandemic it used to be really not that uncommon to see tourists here in Seoul with huge bandages on their nose on their face they'd obviously just had surgery done and they were maybe wearing you know a cap and maybe a face mask but you could still see the bandages and I have not seen that for years and the other day I was walking around with my family in Gangnam and we saw two girls and that I, I did point that out to my husband I was like aha I think it's back and then I've seen this crop of articles pop up so who knows I think this might be the beginning again of people coming back for their plastic surgery in Korea so that was the main uh, things I was seeing in the headlines this week here uh, and without any further ado I know a lot of you have been waiting to hear who were the winners of our podcast review competition I did mention a few weeks ago that we had five sets of our Jelly Co products our cherry blossom sleeping mask our bubble tea steam cream and the little silicon face mask brush that goes along with it to give away. I said I would give them to the first five reviewers and we had so many reviews so thank you to everyone that left their review. I've gone through and checked the timestamps on them. There are I've picked five people and the winners are 
Uh, some some people didn't leave their full name, so you, if you recognize your name, obviously this is you. Shally Han, uh, and the title of her review was the most up-to-the-minute K-beauty podcast. Our second winner was Elise C, and her the title of her review was my go-to K-beauty podcast. Uh, In number three, we had Alyssa Bermudez, who left her review on Facebook. In fourth place, we had Abby J. And then in fifth place, we had Kaylee. So if you guys, the top five winners, if you recognize your name and your post, then please get in touch with either me or our team to claim your prizes. You can do that on Facebook. You can do that on Instagram. You can do that. You can email us, admin at stylestory.com.au. And we are super excited. I am super excited to get your prizes out to you. So thank you so much to everyone. I loved reading your reviews uh, and I'll share a couple of them over the next few weeks as well. So thank you so much to everyone. If you haven't left a review but you would like to leave a review, you are always very, very welcome. All right, now on to speaking of reviews, let's take a look at some of the latest K-Beauty reviews that have been left on the Style Story website. And the first one was actually one for Jellico Cherry Blossom Sleeping Mask. Uh, It was a five-star review and our reviewer said, beautiful. Putting it on feels like a spa treatment and my skin is so soft and smooth the next day. Like if I happen to touch my face during the day the next day, I stop in my tracks for a second and just think, wow, so soft, so smooth. I love that. That's so lovely. Uh, I'm really glad you enjoyed your product and thank you for your review. Glad that you are enjoying soft, smooth skin. Uh, Our second review was a five-star review from Tracy, and this one was for Charm Zone's Retinol Emulsion. And she said, I've been using this product for a short time and absolutely love it. It not only feels beautiful on my skin, but hydrates it beautifully. Oh, and the scent is amazing. I can use this product after toner and then apply sunscreen and people often comment about how good my skin looks. We'll definitely continue to use this product. Highly recommended. Thank you very much for your review. And then we had a five star review for Subi Perfect Pimple Patch. Our reviewer said, the longer you wear them, the better the results. What impressed me most about this product is that it smoothed and evened out the skin like nothing I've ever seen before. I found that the longer I was able to keep the patches on, the better results I got. The best result came after I accidentally left a patch on for a whole day and night. I move around a lot when I sleep and I found that sometimes I would put a patch on before bed and wake up to find it gone. I would love it if they had a few more patches in the packet as I lost a few of them this way. We'll definitely be repurchasing though as the post-inflammatory pigmentation and acne scars that these patches save you from is priceless. So thank you very much to everyone that left their product reviews. Uh, And now for this week's question of the week. So this 
This question came in through from Abby and Abby was asking about DIY sheet masks. She was saying, can you give some details about the best toners or serums to use and the type of cotton pads? I assume the Australian style ones are great for this question mark. I have Pyongkang Yul's uh, pads and the April B Noni serum, which I bought for this purpose to justify buying a serum I didn't really need. I also convinced myself it would be more economical and environmentally friendly not having individually wrapped masks i'm not sure if this is actually the case though it would be keen to hear your thoughts on the best way to dui so thank you so much to abby for sending this through and yes to answer your question i think that the australian ones the australian style of cotton pads in general are going to be fine things that you could find at the local supermarket maybe but what i would say is get the thinnest ones you can find uh i know it might sound counterintuitive you might think oh but thicker will be better the thinner ones will give you the most bang for buck because the thicker ones will soak up more of the liquid the other thing is that when you are doing a diy mask at home using cotton pads and if people are not sure what we're talking about This is a really Korean DIY style of doing a mask. Instead of using a sheet mask, you take cotton pads, drench them in whatever product you are using, and you just pop them over your face, one on the forehead, couple on the cheeks, and one on the chin. And it's basically just a really cheap and easy way to do a mask at home. You leave it on for say five to 10 minutes and then remove them, uh, and then that's you done. So that's what we're talking about. The thicker, the pad it will waste more of your product so go for the thinnest the other thing is you want the pad to be soaked you don't want it to just be wet because if you're putting things like pads on your face and they are anything less than soaked that can cause irritation for some people Uh, so that's just my little tip um You know, some people recommend using reusable cotton rounds or they're not rounds, but they're like, um, I don't even know what you would call them. They're a reusable style. A lot of them come in like a round shape of, uh, washer I guess you could say for your face I would not use them for this type of DIY mask uh, I just uh, most of the ones that I see even the really really popular ones in my opinion are going to be too irritating for the skin certainly to be using every day I'm not really a fan of products like this I just think the less friction and rubbing that you are doing on your face with anything the better uh, hands are the, just the most gentle way to go about it so I probably wouldn't recommend using anything like that the other thing is any pads that have like a rough texture or that are made from a material that has been bleached or treated with other chemicals they can be problematic as well obviously they may be too harsh maybe you can have an allergic reaction to them so just see how you go in terms of the environmentally friendly angle of it Uh, Definitely, I think they are better for the environment than single-use masks just because of the sheer amount of plastic. Uh, A lot of them, there's the mask itself, obviously. Some of the hydrogel ones are actually biodegradable. 
Uh, but this, the packaging that they come in isn't always, and some of them are double packaged in plastic. So I think obviously cotton pads are a better solution than that. I don't think they're a perfect solution. They still require a lot of materials to produce them, which is obviously has an impact on the environment and they aren't biodegradable, but probably the lesser of two evils is what I would say. In terms of the products to try it with, obviously if you've got a product, you mentioned the April B Noni Serum, no reason at all why you can't use that. Some other products that I would recommend trying this kind of DIY mask with. Pyongkang Yul's Essence Toner is a really, really good option. Uh, I myself have tried it out with COSRX's Propolis Synergy Toner. I did that last year when I was on holidays because I had a bottle of that toner with me and I thought I needed a mask one day. That worked really well. Our Jelly Kojui Glaze Toner will be perfect for it as well. Linesia's Cream Skin Refiner. Uh, it's and Trees Hyaluronic acid toner and uh, I Unique. They've got a hyaluronic acid toner as well. Both of those products are very, very good to use with these kind of DIY cotton pads. The other uh, brand that makes these that is nice and cheap and cheerful is One Thing. Pretty much any of the One Thing toner like extract products will be fine to do this with. Uh, but if you're after more of a hydrating experience uh, for your mask, I would probably recommend to sticking to uh, one of the other ones. Uh, one thing is not hydrating. I think they're better for treating. Uh, certainly none of the one thing products that I've tried would fall into the hydrating ca uh, category. So it just depends on what you want to go for, I guess. Uh, now, before we get to this week's recommendation of the week, I did just want to read out one of the lovely reviews that was left for the podcast. Uh, and this was from Elise C. And she said, my go-to K-Beauty podcast, love tuning in for Lauren's insights every week. I'm always learning something new, super informative and entertaining, great variety of content, definitely recommend. So thank you so much for Elise for leaving her review. And I just remembered we have not done the newness. I need to do that first. So as I mentioned last week, so, 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 so many new products on the Style Story website at the moment because all of the stuff that was on the ships has arrived at the same time. So one of the brands that you guys might be interested in going and checking out is I Do Care, and that is Do D E W. A little bit of a little bit of a play on words there. Uh, and this is just a really fun, colorful brand that is perfect for people that have oily, acne-prone skin, maybe dull skin. We've got a range of their products, their cleansing balm. We've got a couple of their masks. We have their uh, kitten line as well. It's just a really, really fun line. Lots of different textures and scents and things like that if you like experiential skincare. So do go and check that one out. Uh, I know that that one has been trending, particularly in Australia. So that is now available at Style Story. Uh, so yeah. Now for this week's recommendation of the week. I'm going to be recommending a food and it is a food that you might think is a little bit of a strange food to recommend, but it is Korean fried chicken. Uh, and I'm sure you're probably thinking, you know, if you haven't had it before, you're like, okay, cool. Fried chicken. Like I'm pretty sure I can order that wherever I live. Like what's so different about 
Korean fried chicken. And this is exactly what I thought. When I first came to Korea, I was studying at university and I was living in the dorms on campus. So we basically had, uh, you know, all of our rooms on one floor and then we had a communal kitchen. And I remember I used to go into the kitchen to like make up a snack or dinner and there'd be a bunch of Americans there and they would be eating fried chicken. And I was thinking to myself, that's so weird. Like, why are they, why are they eating fried chicken like do they miss American chicken that much that they need to eat it while they're here or you know do they really love it that much that they can't be away from it for a couple of months and that was because I hadn't tried Korean fried chicken for myself and once I finally tried it I was like oh okay I get it I was I was the the one missing out big time there so Korean fried chicken is quite different from say like your KFC uh, and the reason that makes it different is the way they prepare it here. So first up, Korean chickens are usually smaller than American birds, and I presume Australian birds too, to be honest. The, the chickens I've seen here are much smaller than what I remember from back home. So they're smaller. The other thing is American fried chicken tends to be brined and sort of put through a flour and buttermilk mixture, whereas Korean fried chicken is a lot lighter, crispier, and thinner. It's almost got like a paper-like skin that is not really heavily battered. Uh, and Korean fried chicken is just an absolute institution. The industry is worth over $7 billion, which is just crazy. Uh, they come with a whole heap of different um, dressings, the kind that you'll probably be able to find overseas if you find out where your local Korean fried chicken place is, is things like Yangnyeong, which is basically a spicier, sweet and hot soy sauce. You'll be able to find soy sauce, the plain fried sauce, hood. Uh, ride and then you will be able to find probably a combination of those here in Korea the choices are absolutely mind-boggling like you can literally be scrolling through the Korean fried chicken menu on like your you know coupon eats app for about four minutes that's how many different ones there are it's crazy it's just like people just go you know go nuts because everyone loves fried chicken and everyone's tried all of the traditional uh, sauces and we know that Koreans love new things they love trends so there's just some absolutely crazy stuff coming out at the moment I'm pretty sure I saw a choco mint dipping sauce which I'm like I will not be touching that but that is one of the ones that's trending here at the moment uh, the other thing is that Korean fried chicken although it might sound like it just comes from America like it's a copy of something actually has been around for centuries. Koreans have been frying their chicken since the 15th century, so it doesn't really have anything to do with American food. Little bit of trivia for you. The reason for the boom in Korean fried chicken and why there are so many restaurants here in Korea has its roots in the Asian financial crisis. So back in the late 1990s, Korea uh, was in a really, really bad way uh, economically and ended up getting bailed out by the IMF. Uh, and a lot of workers obviously got laid off. A lot of people were out of work, were needed a way to earn some money, and they opened chicken restaurants. So that is why there are just so, so many. It's kind of like a little bit of a, uh, a running joke here in Korea that when people retire, it's like, okay, we'll just open 
open a chicken restaurant to give them something to do. Uh, so there are that many chains, like there are seriously so many, you probably couldn't even count them on two hands and big chains as well. A lot of them have expanded and have set up overseas. You'll find them in Southeast Asia, Canada, China, the States, definitely in Australia, you'll find the chains. And then you'll probably also find just smaller ones that are run by local Koreans living wherever you're living. So have a look around. If you've never tried Korean fried chicken before, go out and get yourself some. Uh, you can thank me later. If you do already know the joys of Korean fried chicken, well, hopefully you have one that you know of because now that I've been talking about it, you're probably like, yeah, you know what? I could go some Korean fried chicken. So that was my recommendation recommendation for the week this week. I hope you guys uh, find somewhere where you can go and get your little fix uh, and let me know what you think of it. Is it better than the chicken that you guys eat at home? Is it worse? Is it, I don't know. You let me know. Let me know if it's to your taste, I guess, right? It is also a personal taste thing. Is that the kind of chicken you like or don't like? Come and find me on the gram. I am at lauren.kbeauty. I will wrap it up here for today's episode and I will be back in your ears on Thursday. Until then, I will see you on Style Story. Bye.